this time to call the meeting to order. And I believe we have a statement we have to read first. Okay. Uh, yes, I'll uh, go ahead and read that. Um, good afternoon. My name is Serena Pearson. Um, I'm with Lawrence Transit. And uh, with me here is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Uh, he will work alongside, tonight it will be Lance Fahey uh, to facilitate the meeting proceedings. Adam and myself will facilitate the Zoom portion of the meeting. The meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you're not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, we may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name and title for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn your video on and off by clicking on the video icon on the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on when you are participating in the meeting. When you're not participating, it's okay to turn your video off. Just remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. If you're participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker. Gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. So now um, I'm gonna go through roll call, see who's here. Uh, Lance Fahey. Here. Max, Max uh, Schieber. Here. Mike Wasikowski. Not here. Nick Kuzmiak. Here. Alan Ackland. Here. Gregory Critchlow. Here. Bill Wilson. August Rudisell. See him coming in right now. He's coming in right now. Freddie Gibb? Here. And August Rudisell is here? Yes, he is. I see his. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. All right. That is seven here and two absent. Lance? Okay. Lance Fay, Vice Chair, PTEC. Our next, uh, there was a written public comment this week. Uh, does anybody have any questions or um, uh, things recommended for staff based on that public comment? Hey, Kuzmiak, PTEC member. Um, it seems like this public comment was pertaining to agenda item three, not general. So I don't, I mean, it's really more of a nitty gritty process question, but would it normally have gone under there? Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, yes, I think that would be appropriate to, um, if there are questions for staff related to the public comment we received, um, it does all pertain to agenda item three. So happy to answer questions about it at that time. Good. Okay. Lance Fay, Vice Chair PTAC. If there are no other uh, questions on public comment, we'll wait till agenda item three. Then next would be the approval of the minutes from the last meeting. 
Uh, we'll do this by uh, unanimous consent. I'm going to ask if anyone has any amendments uh, or things to the minutes. Uh, anybody? I'll ask again, uh, hearing no, no comment yet, one more time, does anybody see anything in the minutes or have anything that they feel needs to be addressed or changed? Okay, well then, by unanimous, unanimous consent, the minutes for the last meeting are approved. And uh, then, uh, first agenda item, which is the Lawrence Pedestrian Plan Steering Committee uh, appointments and uh, there's going to be a presentation I believe yeah Jessica Mortinger transportation planning manager for the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Organization I don't have a presentation for you this evening however we are asking and we have attached to the agenda um, kind of the formation of a Lawrence pedestrian plan steering committee to update the Lawrence portion of the regional pedestrian plan that was originally adopted in 2016. Um, as part of that process, we've recognized um, there's been a lot that's happened since 2016 in terms of walkability improvements um, in the city of Lawrence. And I'll just name a couple that you may or may not be familiar with, but um, the sidewalk improvement program, um, the dedication of funding uh, annually for bicycle and pedestrian amenities, um, the establishment of the neighborhood traffic management program and neighborhood speed limit reductions to 25 miles an hour, um, the development of citywide safe routes to school plan, um, which identifies routes um, just for school um, access for every elementary, public elementary and middle school. And that's just the highlight of some of the things at a high level that have happened since 2016. And so it's time to update that plan. Um, we recognize based in existing conversations through the strategic plan um, and conversations we've heard at Multimodal Transportation Commission that there's a need to address sidewalk network gaps for healthy access to food destinations, access to transit and parks. Um, to understand the disparities in the sidewalk distribution across our community, and particularly as they play into transportation disadvantaged populations, um, and to prioritize and identify crossing locations for improvement. And so those are a couple of the things that we plan to work on, as well as any of some other topics, policies, or concerns that the steering committee can help us address through the process of updating that plan. So we're hoping that a member of PTEC um, and an alternate would be interested in appointment to serve in that role. Um, we anticipate probably a four to six month process as we go through some of that work, um, meeting at least three times during that time. We also have um, some staff advisors that are from interdisciplinary departments to help us guide that role and what that looks like um, to document existing conditions and do data analysis um, across uh, city departments. So I'd be happy to entertain any questions you might have. Otherwise, we're looking for an appointment of a, a representative and an alternate. Um, for uh, involvement in, in that work. Thank you, Lance Fade, uh, Vice Chair PTAC. I actually am interested in that. Um, I saw the emails and um, was thinking that'd be a good thing for me to, to help with. Uh, I don't, I'm a pedestrian and bus rider, so I would nominate myself. <laughs> <laughs>
P-Tech member. Uh, Jessica, since both Gregory and I are kind of tag teaming for the MMTC portion of this and we're both on P-Tech, do we, I guess I'm just wondering if we necessarily need a backup for P-Tech because two of those representatives are already here from the, or sending somebody else. Yeah, Jessica Morton's your transportation planning manager. I don't necessarily think you do, and I actually was thinking about that as I was seeing both of your faces on this, because uh, technically appointing one more possibly could get into the range of four, where we would start to think about you know concerns about coma um, in terms of just with your PTAC membership, possibly, you know, if um, someone else attended or you, everybody was there the same time having those conversations. So I'm, I'm fine with that. If you all are fine with that in terms of um, making taking that action to appoint Lance and recognizing that both Nick and Greg are um, representing MMTC, but also PTAC members um, in, this, in this pedestrian planning process. Um, all right, Lance Fay, Vice Chair of PTAC. Uh, does anybody else have any uh, questions or nominations? Or, uh, would it be okay if I were the person for this? <laughs> Gregory Critchlow, uh, PTAC. I would uh, second the nomination and just uh, agree with Nick in terms of just having one representative of PTAC since we already have representation from the MTC. Got a motion and a second. Do you want to do a roll call? Sure. Okay. okay. Um, Lance Fahey. Yes. Max Schieber. Yes. Uh, Mike is not here. Uh, Nick Kuzmiak. Yes. Alan Ackland? Yes. Uh, Gregory, Gregory Critchlow? Yes. Uh, August Rudisell? Yes. And Freddie Gibb? Yes. All right. Unanimous. Thank you, we greatly appreciate that. Lance, we will be in touch to communicate about scheduling a meeting likely in September. Great. Okay, uh, Lance Fay, Vice Chair PTAC. We have our second agenda item, uh, the fair donation policy, um, the March uh, distribution and transit staff. Uh, you got a presentation or any updates? All right, this is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, realizing that that March should have said August. So we're here to talk about the second distributions for the fair donation policy, which this group helped make adjustments to um, last year. So uh, just a brief reminder, two times a year, we uh, solicit uh, applications from folks who, who um, are, are requesting fair donations that they can use for uh, people who, who frequent their organizations or, or different constituents. And we have, um, uh, we have collected everything that came to us before August 1 and um, have those distributions uh, here for your review and approval. So let me share screen. Oh, 
Okay, so brief agenda, we'll just look through the details and then, um, and then talk through what was requested and what we are recommending be distributed. So uh, last time around in March, we talked a lot about how we notify organizations and um, we did a, a few things at the response of, of PTAC, one of those being that all that information is um, always on our website. Um, information about the policy and the application are always on the FAIRS page of lawrencetransit.org. So um, organizations are welcome to, to look there. There is also um, a United Way Human Services Coalition listserv that, um, that most if not all of the, of the um, social service agencies here in town are a part of, and it's a great way to reach um, groups that, that do a lot of different things for the community around town. So we had shared um, news of the upcoming deadline about a month before uh, with that group um, to, get, uh, to get interest from people who wanted to submit applications. Uh, this time around, we received applications from nine different organizations, and you see them listed there. Um, just a few uh, quick hitters about those applications. Five of them asked for the maximum amount that a single organization can ask for. Uh, four of these organizations um, also requested last March. Five of them are uh, new, at least for this year, uh, perhaps have, have uh, worked with us in the past. And um, eight organizations that did ask for passes back in March um, uh, did not choose to do so again this, this time in August. So, um, you know, last time around we had more requests than the total donation value that we had available. Uh, this time we're actually under that number. We, our requests did not hit our maximum. Um, so as you'll see in our recommended distributions, the requested amount for each organization and the distribution amount are the same. Um, we didn't have to do the math calculation um, that's required if we are um, over our policy limit. So you see we're about um, $700 short of that limit still. So uh, we are recommending that we go ahead and um, provide passes that all these groups ask for at the full amount. And that is really all the content I have. Um, if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. And we'd be seeking um, your recommendation to move forward with this. Adam, this is August PTAC. Were there less requests this year or was it just a lower dollar amount? Like have fewer organizations or lower dollar amount? Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. There were fewer organizations in August that asked than in March. Now I'd have to, people do ask for different amounts, so I'd have to cross-reference and see, you know, how many back in March requested the full amount versus in August. But the, the big driver of us staying underneath the limit was that fewer organizations applied. Excuse me, PTAC. I had a couple of technical questions, probably that have been answered before, but honestly, I've kind of forgotten. Um, the first one is, could you explain what the, or I guess why the maximum is set at 374, because it seems like a kind of an odd thing. It looks like that is one-tenth of the total amount available, so I'm assuming that's where that's from. Um, the second one is, how frequently are we doing this? For some reason, I thought it was quarterly or half-yearly, but five months doesn't really conform with either of those guesses. And then the final thing was, sorry, I forget. But anyway, those first two uh, questions still stand. Yeah, so Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, you're correct that the policy uh, states that any one organization can't, uh, can't apply for more than 10% of the 
available amount. So that's where that 374 cap occurs. Um, it's just to prevent a single organization from re requesting, um, you know, most of the available passes. Um, that's the intent behind that. Um, now, as far as um, um, the the time of the year that we are distributing these, we did choose twice a year, semi-annually. Um, so we looked at a spring and a and a fall time period. I think we'd be open if there are, are different months to look at. Um, you know, March is a little bit before summer hits. Uh, August is right before school starts up, which is good timing for some of the uh, school-related requests that might come in. So um, I don't know the word specifically tied to those months, but we, we tried to spread them out kind of in the spring and fall time period. That makes sense. Um, so just to follow up on that, um, the 10% of maximum dollar amount available being the limit, is that something that we decided back in, Jesus, this is January, February, or is that part of the original policy that has stood? Good question. Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So uh, that uh, percentage has actually, has, that's been in there since um, the inception of the policy. We, I know the, this group looked at, uh, we adjusted the total amount available based on kind of a rolling three-year average and a 2% of fares as opposed to one. Um, so we made some adjustments there for that total amount, but, but um, when looking at that 10% per, uh, per organization, I don't, I don't think anyone had recommendations for changing that. Okay. Excuse me, P-Tech. Um, so I guess with the maximum asked for, it seems like, um, I don't know, I'm just kind of approaching this with a math and engineer lens here, um, that since slightly over half of the organizations, and I would, if you count organization five, a majority of the organizations who requested fair donations requested at or very close to the maximum, which seems to indicate that they would ask for more if they could. I'm curious, for those organizations that did ask at or near the maximum, were they particularly large organizations or were they, just, were they shooting for the moon based on past experience, based on maybe they requested a lot and only got a few, so this time they'll just request a ton and hopefully get enough? Um, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts on that, if, if this maximum is do you think it's working, or if we need to maybe look at it again? Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, so we, when we receive the applications, they, um, there's a requirement that, they, uh, that each organization writes a brief paragraph on how they plan to use the passes. I think that um, you know, the, the requests that come in, I think, are trying to match what they think their need will be. Um, so, so I think it varies by organization. I don't know that we that we understand specific motives on if, you know, organization one will be back every March and August always requesting 374. I think from our perspective, some of the value of having a cap is, um, is just creating space for other organizations to have a shot at applying and, and getting some passes. Um, if, if that was increased, I could, I could see a smaller number of organizations, you know, kind of having us hit our policy cap each time around. So it is a balance between we, of course, want people to use the policy, but also want to make sure there's still access for any organization that's interested. Excuse me, P-Tech. Thanks for the explanation. That does make sense. I mean, it's kind of tough to decide, like, how do you allocate it other than just kind of a, you know, semi-arbitrary uh, limit? Because I do have a feeling, like you're saying, that, you know, maybe organizations with either more bandwidth or just a larger client base could just, you know, 
a request of much larger amount of affairs and though it would technically be okay say you know a salvation army is huge right or united way is huge um but if they were to request everything they possibly could need then it would crowd out these other organizations that being said is 10 percent right i don't know um it seems like the only way we could maybe figure this out would be to try to solicit feedback from the organizations that participated um ideally getting a kind of a sampling of both the, the really large organizations that may feel underfunded as well as the small ones who all of a sudden can participate in a program that previously they maybe weren't able to so I'd, I'd be really interested to see in 2022 to see kind of how this went so anyway thanks for uh, keeping up with this thing i think it looks good so far Uh, LFA Vice Chair PTAC, uh, it uh, this is an action item, correct? We need to approve this or ask it be. Yes, uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I would ask that that PTAC um, make a motion to approve these recommendations and uh, allow us to move forward. Therefore, unless there are any other questions, I would make a motion to approve these amounts for this distribution as is, <coughs> perhaps with a an inquiry if we could try to get some feedback for next year. Absolutely. So I'll just move to PTAC, I second. All right. So the first and Lance, second, does it okay. go for a vote? Yeah. Lance, Fahey? Yes. Max? Schieber? Yes. Uh, Nick Kuzmiak? Yes. Alan Ackland. Yes. Gregory Critchlow. Yes. Um, August Rudisell. Yes. And Freddie Gipp. Yes. Okay. Unanimous. Okay, Lance Faye, uh, Vice Chair PTAC, I believe uh, if, if we're done with that, we're time for the, uh, the big item here, the Multimodal Transit Facility Project Concept Recommendations. All right, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I'll bring up a presentation here to walk through. Okay, so we will walk through uh, our current concept designs for the uh, multimodal in the downtown transfer facility. Um, I'll just begin by um, reminding the group of, of the engagement process and kind of how we, how we walk through this and, and tried to include the community as, as much as we could. Uh, you see at the beginning, we, we really were building off of studies that date back to 2014 and 2018 and what we had heard from the public at that time about um, priorities for the project and what, uh, you know, what the guiding principles would be for, um, for this moving forward. I'll highlight some of the things on the, the right-hand column here. Um, you know, I think, I think we've heard some um, concern and thoughts over how specific downtown sites were looked at. Um, it was our intent, you know, we know that uh, trying to get involvement before concepts are on the page is very important. Uh, we, we did our best to do that in late March, early April, um, reaching out through 
Downtown Lawrence Inc. and the Chamber, um, Lawrence Restaurant Association, Explore Lawrence, trying to share information um, to get uh, get downtown stakeholders on early early phone call or early Zoom calls, try to understand what their um, what their major concerns would be. Um, the immersion week that you see there, when when Wendell, our consultant, was here in town, was uh, purposefully done without us having any concepts drawn on the page. So we had a number of stakeholder meetings and public meetings um, before concepts were drawn up. Try to better understand what um, what people cared most about, what the trade-offs we might be looking at would be, um, and then you see a few of the the additional. Um, um, tactics that we took to try to get as, as much engagement as possible. Um, those included, you know, leading up to some June meetings, we had a number of our staff um, uh, walk to every uh, business we could find open between New Hampshire and Vermont Street, 6th Street and South Park, uh, handing out postcards uh, uh, physically to people to try to get uh, folks to come to those June meetings. Um, during that, those couple of days where we were doing that, we were able to reach um, almost 200 businesses in person um, who got a postcard from us. Um, following those public meetings, we also had some in-person tabling at the library. We had a walking tour um, where we, um, you know, a few of us staff walked around downtown with, with folks answering questions at, at the sites that were under consideration. Um, to build on that, we also, uh, we also created a video to try to, to further explain where um, where this project has come and the different trade-offs that, that are involved in it. Um, and, and we hope that, that that's helped um, come to some mutual understanding. At this point, I'll turn it over to uh, Tony Kellen with Wendell um, on our consultant team to talk through some of the uh, primary topics that we heard through some of the engagement process. Thanks, Adam. Tony Kellen with Wendell Companies, uh, project manager, I wanna introduce the other two uh, individuals who are on the call with us, Scott Neal, who's our uh, principal transit architect, and assisting him is Taryn Prohl, who is also an architect um, working on the project. So essentially when we had our visit in town for those three and a half days, we uh, listened to what folks had to say about like, two particular uh, projects, downtown and Bob Billings and Crestline. Um, I know time is of essence here, and, and most of us have, have seen this presentation already. So, um, again, you know, big concern from folks that are using the facility that there be amenities at the Bob Billings Crestline site. Uh, we've heard feedback from bus operators and the contract operator to make sure that they had the things that they need uh, there. The maintenance folks had things that they needed for minor. Uh, repairs on the site as opposed to deadheaded buses. Um, we look, listen to neighborhood concerns about light noise, um, those types of things. Um, and we engage with Greyhound, uh, the shuttle services, and want to make sure that we provide all the multimodal options out there as well. Uh, downtown, uh, we've had you know engagement with that, and essentially looking for a permanent site. Uh, something that fits the character of downtown, um, some basic passenger amenities. But right now, there, for the last eight years, there really has been nothing across the library. And then making sure we're um, sensitive to future development downtown. I'll go to the next slide. 
Um, for the multimodal transfer center, uh, we the last time that we met with this group, we listened to a lot of the concerns and the different uh, iterations that we had for options one, two, and three. And essentially, um, we quickly um, got the feedback that the road behind the egress road was probably not going to work and not be favorable with the university. Also, um, this site is uh, the farther you go back into the hillside, the more cut and fill and the more additional work, soil work that needs to be done. That was driving cost. And so we look at option one, and you can go right to two. Option two also had that back road um, and a parking lot next to the university building. Option three um, had uh, the uh, building on the platform. And so really, as we took the feedback that came from the many meetings that we had, and as we started drilling and going farther into the design process cost-wise, after those initial meetings in June, um, we realized that we needed to make some um, significant adjustments uh, for various reasons, primarily with the layout of the land in order to make this project uh, feasible and affordable. So what I'd like to do today is focus on really the result of that engagement, which is the recommended option, which is option number four. And so what option four does is it gets this facility on the flatter part of the land, up on Bob Billings, um, gives us the city of Lawrence some tools and Lawrence Transit some tools to, to deal with uh, some of the cost uh, issues and uncertainty with COVID. So you'll see we have a hashed in um, two sawtooths and a bubble out there on the left that will be bid at, would be bid if this moves forward as an ad option. We've shrunk the, the number of buses to eight um, to get within budget. And then we've done a commuter bus, Greyhound, the I-10 connector, I think it is, um, layover area. We've made that, uh, that area down below. Um, and also uh, as a way of driving down costs rather than um, build a brand new facility, we received the drawings and some information, quite a bit of information actually about the current uh, metal building that was on site. And so we're gonna repurpose that building. That's, that is the recommendation. Um, the size of that goes down a bit from 5,000 to about 4,100. Um, and really, um, as we started looking at that structure, it's not gonna look at all like that when Scott's and Taryn are done designing it. And uh, it's actually gonna, be a beautiful, could be a beautiful facility. Uh, has some good bones. Uh, one of the areas that we save a lot of costs is on all the utilities. Um, we can use all of those that are currently there. Um, the parking lot area that you see down below with the, uh, the roundabout in it, that's all on current flatland. It's mostly parking lot already. So there's some advantages that are gained with that. Um, and that's kind of the, you know, those are the, the main elements of that. And maybe at this point would be a good point if folks have questions to uh, um, ask that we could entertain those. And Tony, I think um, I, I might yeah. I might recommend we go through the presentation. Yeah. Uh, we, sure. We may have some public comments, so that way okay. we go through the presentation, right. uh, PTAC can ask some questions, then we can open it up. Perfect. So just to close out this then again, so the project requirements 
are the same as option one, two, and three, noting, of course, that we, we've gone down to eight stalls, you know, hard and fast on that. And then uh, we have the option, should the funding allow it, to have the tent that we originally talked about. And then again, placing this over here. Otherwise, options one, two, and three have essentially the same elements, same amount of parking, ride hail for passengers, pick up and drop off, bicycle racks, uh, bicycle locker area, and a new multimodal facility. Um, advantage, again, the real big advantage of option four is the adaptive reuse of that facility. Uh, I think everybody sees that as a win-win. So with that, let's go to the downtown uh, options for the downtown. Again, um, we've been a little more thorough since the last meeting to, to show that um, we're going to have, you know, it's not, not going to be all hardscape. It's, there's going to be landscaping, trees, and all of those things. I know we talked about tree loss the last meeting. Um, and again, option 1A and 1B have not changed significantly, or really at all, since the last time we talked. Um, so we've done a little less parking down here uh, in the bottom of that. Um, option 1A, and if we want to go to 1B first, okay, so 1A, um, this is the uh, perspective of this. We keep the parallel parking. We keep the two north and southbound lanes. We keep the middle turn lane. And really, the sacrifice on this is the 27-foot, 10-inch uh, platform. Um, and again, you know that the buses do angle into that, so it's not a true uh, 27, 10 feet. That's the widest part uh, of that. And when we go to option 1B, the, the primary change of 1B is that we lose the center turning lane. We um, go with diagonal parking, and we have less of a parking impact. So on this, we have a net loss of 24. Um, something else we've updated on the slides is that we're reflecting in the net parking loss, the parking that is gained back at the old site um, by the library, both off-site and on-street. Um, so again, main distinguishing difference here is the loss of the center terminal if we go to the perspective the, uh, and we have a 22 foot 10 inch wide platform here so uh, less area to, to have green space trees benches shelters um, multi-use public sidewalk through there as well um, so so this cross section shows again the angled street parking uh, southbound and northbound lane um, and your bus bays and then we keep the cycle track as well uh, around the back side of that. The other options that we discussed in the last um, meeting have not changed. Um, Vermont between 10th and 11th, the only way to get all five uh, coaches, which is part of the project requirements on there, is to take the parking lot. And so you can see we've added in some, some greenscape just to show that this is not going to be all you know, concrete. We do have the bus shelters. We have the uh, bus operator a restroom amenity. And then on New Hampshire, option three that we reviewed last time, um, Again, as we said before, um, 
showing an awful lot of hard surface here, but um, this site has some real challenges with the street elevation versus the parking lot elevation and using it with buses. So um, you know, we've had some questions about why so much uh, empty space around this, but um, really it's not conducive to having auto and bus traffic and pedestrian traffic in there. So that's why we, we show this this way. This is the um, probably the least desirable option of the three. Looking at parking loss, which is, is a big focus, there's a net uh, loss of 76 parking spots on this. If we go back to option two, we're looking at 49 net loss parking spaces. And then with option one, A, which is the maintaining the center turn lane and the parallel parking um, in that uh, cross section that we showed before, that we end up with a net loss of 40. Is that correct, Adam? Yes. Yeah. No, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, that's correct. That is correct. OK, net loss of 40. And then we'll, if we go to diagonal parking on 1B, net loss of 24. So we gain 16. Um, so again, none of the project requirements have really changed since the last time we met. Um, and so at this point, um, now maybe time for discussion, or do you want to go a little farther? I'll just briefly mention that upcoming. The next slide is basically an update on the trajectory of the project uh, timeline. I'll let Adam handle that. Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, just uh, briefly to show that we're looking for um, uh, direction from City Commission next week uh, to understand our path forward. We are. Um, working on this project in coordination with route redesign, which a few of you are, are uh, directly involved in as part of that steering committee. And those, those two projects will come together in August of 2022 when um, new facilities would open and they would open along with um, new route structure. So that's what we're aiming for to make this come together. Um, but as Tony said, now would be a good time. Uh, if we, as far as PTAC comments, if you have some technical questions for us, that would be good to do now, and then we can get to public comment and, and bring it back to PTAC after. Tony and hopefully I wasn't too abbreviated in that presentation, but understanding time and understanding that uh, we've all uh, you know, reviewed these um, in the past, um, I thought I would keep it high level so we have time for discussion. Tony, when you made your estimates, did you uh, take into effect some of the, the higher prices we're seeing here uh, recently due to some of the shortages in materials? Yeah, our estimating uh, group um, has data from you know many states. We do business in 38 states, so we're seeing some pretty wide fluctuations in pricing. Um, so it, it is hard to put on. Uh, but yes, we have definitely had inflationary COVID pricing built into these estimates, and we do have design and construction contingencies in the budget's estimates that as we get farther along and as we um, 
as we proceed, um, there's some tools that we can use to more refine those cost estimates. But we're still at, the pretty, at a pretty high level right now at this particular stage. And things are changing literally month by month. So, but definitely have taken that into consideration. I'll ask the PTAC member. And the one other item, Tony, I guess I was fully surprised by the, the cost of providing the uh, uh, canopies um, in, the, in the, the budget estimates. I guess maybe it's just something I hadn't considered, but it just seemed to be fairly, fairly, fairly expensive items. Yeah, I, I, I would like to have Scott and Neil talk about that. Um, there's a, it's a pretty significant structure, and then with your environment there as well. Um, you know, Scott can talk about the just the sheer amount of surface area that you have and structural issues with putting those in the ground. You're muted, you're muted, Scott. Uh, Scott Neal from Wendell. Uh, yes, um, it, um, that, uh, that is not an uncommon reaction. Um, we're talking about significant square footage um, of, of canopy. Uh, we also, uh, to, to clear buses, they're typically you know, somewhere in the order of 12 to 14 feet in the air uh, to the underside of structure. Uh, for the most part, if we're expecting Greyhound coach, we're gonna go 14. Uh, so it's it's significant steel. It's a significant foundation system, um, and you know you do you do have to clad them. It does require a roof, and by the time you put in the lighting and uh, closed circuit camera security, what have you, those things, then they do certainly add up. Uh, but um, we've been we've been doing these um, uh, for for a long time, um, specifically. Uh, uh, myself, 23 years. Um, so this is kind of a, uh, a uh, an average for uh, what we would expect for canopies. And again, you know, we have markups and uh, escalation, what have you, for where we are on this project, which is probably also important to note that as we design, design gives us more certainty, and therefore the contingencies. Uh, begin to go away because we'll know more about the job. But we're comfortable with that number for the canopies. I'll ask the PTAC member. Uh, I guess one last question is um, if you've done been in the industry for quite a while, um, maybe you share any other similar project that you've done recently. Um, I know you said you're based off of, of, of work that's similar in other areas, but I know there's a lot of variation due to the uh, um, just geology and topography and back whether it's a union or non-union projects. I don't know if you factored that into the uh, uh, estimates. Uh, yes, they are. Um, the estimates are prevailing wage um, at, at this point. Um, and uh, you know, I guess um, sure. I guess uh, geography-wise, um, yeah, we've um, you know, I would say um, 
I, I guess I would put it more in like, a, uh, you know, this this part of, of of the U.S. Obviously, the further we go north, um, that that changes some of the design requirements as we get more snow. Um, further in the south, we um, we don't have as much a worry. Um, but for this for this general area, um, you know, we do have to be mindful of severe weather. Uh, we do have to be uh, concerned about, you know, what are we doing in uh, the event of tornadoes and what have you. So, <clears throat> um, I, I don't know if that's really uh, answering your question, but uh, you know, we we have uh, we have some work in Arkansas. We have uh, uh, projects in uh, Illinois. Um, I would I would say you're in. You're in your good hands as far as the design criteria. Oklahoma City. Oh, in Oklahoma City, correct. Yeah. Oh, I can be Thank you. Okay. Uh, Lance Fay, Vice Chair PTAC. Um, in uh, at this time, if there is public comment, uh, I'd like to hear that. Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. At, um, for folks on the call, if you want to either um, raise your hand to indicate you'd like to make public comment or put something in the chat, I'll watch out there as well. And I've seen uh, Diane um, with her hand raised. So, Diane, would you like to go ahead? Okay, yes, hi. Um, this is Diane Gert. I own Eagle's Rest at E15 Massachusetts. It's a furniture store. And so the 800 block of Vermont is our backyard. Um, one question I have about both of those plans, 1A and 1B, is how have you accounted for us receiving um, shipments? Uh, we have large, the largest trucks come in and park in that middle turn lane, and that's where we tend to receive our couches and hand truck them to our back door. Um, and then I know Zen Zero and Burger Stand, they frequently get semis of food deliveries in there and off the street. So have you uh, uh, made an allowance for us getting our freight deliveries into the businesses back there um, since we don't have an alley? Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, Tony or Scott, did you want to respond to that? Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons, Tony Callan with Wendell, that's one of the reasons we favor 1A, which keeps the center turn lane intact. Um, it's also our understanding that some of those deliveries do happen in that parking lot uh, behind those uh, back and door for those businesses. Um, so either or. At this stage of the design process, you know, I can let Scott chime in if he would like, but um, in regard to how those deliveries would happen from that center turn lane and how that would interface with the sawtooth operations um, and pedestrian movement, um, Scott could maybe um, address that a little better. Sure. Uh, you know, and we're, we're in concept right now, um, so I would agree with Tony, what Tony said. Um, we, we did hear that comment. That's why we're still advocating the center turn lane. 
Um, at first, um, when we were looking at traffic counts and what have you, um, you know, at in, in, in face value, um, there wasn't uh, there wasn't a heavy need for the turn lane. But then we um, we heard that you know because this is an urban uh, setting that it is in fact being used. So it, it seemed to make sense uh, to keep it in place. Um, what we have not done, and back to my this is concept right now. If there's a, uh, you can see we have uh, crosswalks and safe and safe areas. If um, if we can coordinate that, where um, where uh, the you know the trucks and uh, probably uh, you know like you were saying and furniture and what have you, if, if there's a if there's a direct path we can uh, go across the street um, and into the parking lot as you do right now. Um, we certainly could be looking at that, um, but but right now we don't feel um, other than losing some parking spots. It's a um, there's there's a conflict. Um, the the buses and the uh, the buses and the cars and the deliveries should be able to coexist. Um, you know, from my uh, experience, it's it's already pretty busy out there for us when we're you know we'll receive like a couple of couches that we have to bring to our back door and and we do that through we we take it off the truck put it on hand truck you know a big long couch and then we wheel it over um through the north entrance of the parking lot and up the sidewalk and it works okay but i do have serious concerns about the increased bus traffic as far as safety goes for my employees. Um, I, I, I'm feeling like that's gonna make it pretty unsafe. Um, is, is that right turn on the south end that you're adding to the south end, is that entrance, is it possible to widen that out enough so that we can drive a semi in that way and deliver right behind our store? They're they're forty foot semis. Yeah, twenty calendar with Wendell. Oh, so they're not they're not the sixty fives. They're the forties. I mean, we could we could look at the uh, the turning movements. They're both they're both the really long ones and the the, the forty foot and the sixty five. Oh, okay. I'm trying to think of solutions for us. That's our main issue. Um, we also have questions as far as taking out the parking in that parking lot, um, as I think we, a lot of people have been discussing that with you. Um, so I just wanna make that note as far as free uh, deliveries and the logistics and the safety of that for my employees. And then the, the other thing would be, um, can you just, uh, repeat how your traffic study went, what the duration was, and what the time period was when you assessed the the use of that parking lot. I'm Tony Kellen with Wendell. We were provided traffic information um, from the city. Now, I'm not sure if the city engineer or Adam, if you have um, information on that time frame, but. We basically learned, if my memory serves me right, and I, I probably shouldn't even say these numbers, but I believe that 
the traffic on Massachusetts was about double what it is on New Hampshire, or excuse me, on Vermont. Mm -hmm. I'm just talking about use of the parking lot as far as taking away the spaces go at this point. It's, it's a pretty popular parking lot. And I think most of the business, I've gone up and down the street and I've talked to every single business owner about this um, personally. And most, most folks are, are concerned about losing that customer parking. So, and, and if the assessment was done, I remember it being said that it was, you know, only 50% full um, when it was studied and, and I don't feel that that's accurate, so. It could be, it could be an average. Or is, yeah. that, is it an average over time? You know, are they doing it at nine in the morning? And it, it, because there are definitely peak hours when that parking lot is full and people are circling and circling looking for spaces. So it's, it's gonna be um, an issue. It's gonna be a hardship for a lot of people to take away that parking there, right there in the center of town where it's, it's, it's a very, very popular area of downtown Lawrence. Hey, to, just uh, to clarify, there were, there were two parts to that. One is the actual parking, and then there's the actual traffic on the street. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the, correct. The, the, what I was commenting on is that um, we, we have not done a traffic study, but the existing information on um, the, 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 the car trips on Vermont between uh, 8th and 9th is, is pretty low. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't speak to the parking. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't, I don't have. Okay. So further study is in the works then. So Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, Diana, as far as uh, parking numbers go, we have a couple of different things we can look at. Um, one of them is the, there was a 2017 parking and operations plan done that, that had some counts um, during the AM and PM peaks. Um, uh, that study done, done by Desmond a, a few years ago. So we have that information. We do have um, some new uh, license plate reader technology vehicles that our parking office is using um, to aid with enforcement. And there's some um, occupancy data we can get from that. So just as a general example, if, um, if they go through a lot, they can understand how many vehicles were read and, and how big the lot is and, and know how, how full it was. So we're, we've been gathering that information since um, uh, late April and are trying to put together um, kind of what we know uh, from, from April of this year till, till about now and hope to have uh, some of that information available at next week before next week's commission meeting so it can be on that agenda. Um, but it's been a little bit of um, analysis work with a new technology, trying to make sure uh, we are, are portraying things correctly and all of that. So um, we ho hope we can provide as much info as we as we have. Okay, I, I just want to make one final point, and then I'll quit bugging you. It's it's the peak hours where our businesses make the money. So those those peak times are are critical as far as that parking lot usage goes. 
Okay. Tony Callan with Wendell. Um, Diane, I wanted to just, um, I don't know if we actually answered your question. I want to make sure we did on the um, delivery of goods for your, uh -huh. for your businesses. Um, that right turn in, right turn out only thing that we're talking about on the south end of that lot, I'm sure that um, as we get further into design, um, safety and city engineering staff will be able to, you know, along with us tell you whether or not that would work. I would say my first plus reaction would be that for 40 foot vehicles, that may be doable. I'm not sure that um, full 65 foot length semis would be able to do that. But in, in terms of bus operations, you know, I've got 30 years of experience operating a transit system uh, in, in an urban environment like this uh, in a university town as well. And I think that those five buses uh, entering and departing every 30 minutes, um, I don't see that as unsafe. I think those, those drivers are going to actually uh, be there all the time. They're going to be more aware of what's going on with those deliveries than your typical automobile coming through there. So okay. I, feel pretty com I feel pretty comfortable saying that um, we should be able to um, keep that safe for you. Yeah, it's kind of the drivers driving around buses that are the problem. I'm not worried about the bus driver. Um, everybody else, not us. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, well, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah. That pretty much answers it for me. And and you'll, you'll probably be seeing me again at the city. Oh, thank you. Just again, um, uh, Diana, in regard to your comments, the sawtooth operation, those buses are completely off the roadway. Um, and that northbound lane is completely uninhibited. Right. Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. And I saw uh, Travis was interested in making a comment. So, Travis, if you'd like to unmute and um, let us know your thoughts. Travis Smith, I'm a driver of Lawrence Transit. I've been driving for about a year now. And I've heard a lot of people say uh, parking is a really big concern, and it is. But we're talking about losing, uh, I think on 1A, which is the popular one, like 49 spaces there. And I mean, the buses bring hundreds of people downtown every day that you don't get in the cars. You get one or two, maybe four per vehicle. And when you drive downtown, you see uh, outdoor dining is taking up probably the same amount of spaces, but that's okay, but the buses aren't. And I just, I don't understand as a driver how the community and everybody that rides the buses is so, they really, really want a permanent hub and everybody loves it and everybody wants it that I talk to on a daily basis, but we're so opposed to it. I just don't understand. Travis, um, looking for the chat. I don't see any other hand raises or chat messages. I guess I'll give a call out if there's anybody else who would like to make a comment. Um, 
Oh, Ginger, Ginger doll. Hello, everybody. My name is Ginger Doll. I'm the general manager at First Transit. And normally I'm just the silent one listening to, to the comments. But I just wanted to add a couple things to what Travis had said, which it is, you know, just for 2021, there was over 250,000 people on the city side alone that use the service. I'm a big numbers person. I'm a big on um, the total number of passengers. So like Travis said, a car load of four people versus a bus load of 50 people in our backyard, it does make a difference. And it's not, it's people that work, it's people that shop, it's people that go down for the dining. The number of college students that use the service to get downtown um, to, to utilize just the service, they don't have any other means other than if they use an Uber late at night or safe ride late at night, but they use our bus service and they're going down there to dine, they're going down there to shop and they're going down there to live. So it's just to make that difference. And then the fact of where the buses are right now, there's no amenities for the drivers. We learned that on a very critical way last year when we had COVID and there was nowhere for them to take a break. So just by moving it down and being able to add the amenities that is a critical part of their everyday. And then it also keeps them closer to their bus and not trying to go into the library, across the street, jutting down the street, just for that basic amenity. And those are the things that I wanted to add. Ginger, I'm looking through my participant list here for anybody else um, raising their hand or in the chat who would like to make a comment on this item. See a hand with Rich. Yes, um, Rich Yankle uh, from Mark Steelers. Alexandra. Alexandra. Um, I'm going to let Alexandra. Well, I'm just curious per uh, Ginger's uh, comment about, you know, the busload of 50 people. I don't know. I mean, I've worked and lived downtown for the last 10 years, and I have never seen a busload full of 50 people other than maybe like a football game and it's a KU bus or, you know, like some very particular circumstance, but never a city bus full of 50 people. Ever. Um, yeah. And also, why do you need two transit hubs? We've not had one for 10 years, and now you need two. And also, as far as bringing shoppers downtown, I've been here forever, and, and I've never had one person say, I need to go catch the bus. But our parking lot is on Saturdays. People circle, circle, circle. I mean, there's really <clears throat> nowhere to park. The parking lot's the other side of Massachusetts Street. 
-hmm. the other side of New Hampshire. You can you can park there. There's plenty of parking places there. Um, South Park, you already have a building with restrooms and everything there. Um, we're the ones that are paying the sales tax, and we need our customers. And we don't feel like our customers are coming by bus. That's all. That's all. So I guess my the main question is why do we need two hubs? Tony? Well, I think that's maybe more of an appropriate question. I'm Tony Collin with Wendell. Uh, thanks, Rich. Um, as project designers, um, the city gave us the project parameters. We didn't, we didn't create those for you. So I'd like to defer that to Adam Weigel. Sure. Um, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So um, we were working through the early stages of this uh, project, trying to get it kick-started again. Um, it's being done at the same time as a route redesign study uh, for us to look at routes and how they'll, they'll serve the community after we have uh, a new transfer area out at Bob Billings and Crestline. And, um, you know, in a lot of that early work, it became uh, pretty clear that not every route that comes downtown uh, makes sense to detour all the way to Bob Billings and Crestline. Um, downtown is a, a center where there's a lot of people living, there's a lot of jobs. It's a place where people connect to major corridors throughout our city. Um, so there's a number of routes today that may, in fact, change, but those corridors will, will still need serving in, in some way. Um, so thinking through that progression, we looked at um, uh, routes one, three, four, six, and seven are generally routes that are along corridors that serve downtown as a destination and also create um, uh, create cross-town connections to, to additional routes. And those type of routes are, are, are very likely to remain. Um, you know, removal of those from, from the downtown area would mean removal of key corridors that people move throughout our community on a bus. So um, downtown's currently served by eight routes and we're looking at a reduction to five. Um, but going beyond that five would, would create significant challenges with, with running uh, kind of practical, efficient routes for people to move around Lawrence. Yeah, one, um, one other thing I could add, Scott Neal from Wendell, um, uh, it, it's been um, pretty common in uh, my 23 years of designing these facility types. Um, most of them are downtown. <clears throat> it's considered an asset. Um, now, um, and for a lot of the reasons that Adam has said, <clears throat> but it also um, has the opportunity to uh, in, in improve the area. Our hope is this is um, uh, going to feel like a pocket park, but um, it's not. Uh, it's not a large transfer center. A lot of the ones I've worked on actually are taking. Um, uh, a combination of utilizing the street and then um, also additional development. 
um, but this um, this idea of it being downtown is um, is extraordinarily common, um, and it's, a lot of these are university towns. Um, Corning, New York, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, you know, they they all um, see the benefit of having uh, a site located downtown, including the transfers. So this is not an unusual ask. Um, my point is this happens all over the country. All right, I'm looking in my chat again or for any other hand raises. Not seeing any. Let me look one more time here. Not seeing any. So um, Lance, can probably bring it back to the group for a discussion. Uh, yeah, uh, Lance Fay, Vice Chair PTAC. Um, so now, um, I guess we need to move to uh, discussion of PTAC members, and then um, my understanding is then we need to determine the recommendation to city commission next week is that am i correct that is correct yes so i'll open that up and actually uh lance Fay, vice chair pisa again i'll make a quick comment regarding uh, bus is bringing uh, dip business to downtown and also the need for two transit hubs. This has been pretty extensively researched over the better part of a decade now. And um, I am a daily bus rider and I do bring business to downtown as well as my family. Um, and I see quite a bit of benefit to having um, a, a transit presence in the downtown corridor. Uh, also, there's been research as to where a lot of core ridership is and where the des destinations are, and that also necessitates a transfer place uh, on the west end, the west side of campus. Uh, I think that the city and its consultants and the transit uh, community have done a, an extensive job of researching all this and are coming up with a plan that keeps uh, all parties in mind as much as possible. Um, 
The first one was con being concerned of the peak usage of parking lots. So, Adam, as you noted, the 2017 parking study, it noted that lot number three, which is the one that's going to be adjacent and I guess partly compromised by location 1A and 1B, for that 2017 study, it only gets 81% use at the Christmas shopping peak time. And December 14th in 2017, I guess probably 2016, that's how much it got. Um, since then, online shopping has increased. Uh, the westward expansion of Lawrence has continued, and we had a pandemic as well. So I would say an 81% usage at Christmas time in 2016 seems like a pretty respectable peak time to base your uh, sizing off of, right? So. I mean, it seems to me that this is maybe not as much of an issue as we think of perception-wise. The statistics say something else. Um, as for the addition or the issue with long-term spaces, I'm pretty sure those will be allocated elsewhere. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but I'm pretty sure that's what's going to be happening. So I feel like the concern over the, the loss again seems kind of like a, a non-issue. Um, plus, given the fact that even after losing 40 spaces, we'll still be able to hit that peak capacity for non-holiday times. Like I said, it's kind of a problem of perception, not reality. Even in the infrequent case of these really high peaks during events for the holiday season, there are two perfectly good garages about a block in both directions, most of which are largely free, not to mention neighborhood parking. So like, there is always a place to park. You just have to be have the wherewithal to walk maybe a block, right? Um, also, as to the, the citizen who noted that they chose their office location based on the parking, I feel like that seems highly unlikely. If you're looking to maximize parking and make it cheaper and reduce rent costs, downtown is literally the last place in Lourdes that you would want to be, right? So I'm not sure I'm buying that one, especially if you're assuming that all your customers and your employees all drive. Um, finally, uh, you know, I believe that it's kind of an equity issue, right? So we're eliminating personal car parking spots, but while still maintaining transportation access in that same space, because downtown should be for people, not for cars and people don't all arrive in personal vehicles. So it's a little bit elitist to assume that everyone who accesses downtown either is able to or can afford to drive, as Lance pointed um, out earlier. So just because, just because one doesn't personally know anyone who rides a bus does not mean that it's not actually useful to many, many people in our city, our fellow citizens, right? Anecdotal evidence is not superior to statistics, in my opinion, and the negation of bus transit as a vital link for many in our community shows kind of a worrying lack of awareness about the reality for a lot of folks in town. As to the concerns about crossing the street, cars are already driving down the street, so there is already an issue of having to cross, and there's going to be a single, um, there's going to be an additional mid-block crossing. So I would say that protected crosswalks are actually going to increase with this option. So the cars will continue to travel down the street, of course, it's not going to be close to traffic, but realistically, traffic will likely be either lessened due to people just avoiding the area, or slowed due to potential interference with buses. All these visual cues kind of serve to naturally slow traffic more effectively than the speed bumpers, a uh, speed bump sign would. And like was said earlier, um, you know, a lot of these buses were already driving down the street as part of the ride anyway, and these are professional drivers versus just, you know, whoever can pass a driver's license test, right? So I just feel like m most of the issues, including space for deliveries, have been addressed with the, uh, the design. So really hats off to the consultants, the commissions who've been a part of it, especially city staff, for really listening to everybody's concerns and actually incorporating all these elements into the final design. So that's it for me. Thanks, Elvin.
uh, Lance Faye, uh, Vice Chair, uh, it, are we supposed to now um, make recommendations of which of these options to be presented to City Commission? Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, that, that is true. So if there's any more discussion among PTAC members or, um, or any motions or preferred concepts at both locations. Okay. Lance Fay, Vice Chair of PTAC, I wanted to recommend 1A for the downtown and the fourth option for the Crestline and Bob Billings. This is August Budisau. Can we see the fourth option for the Bob Billings Parkway option? And is that a, will all inbound traffic come in off Crestline? So Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, um, all bus traffic accessing this site, yes, would come in off Crestline. That's the only entrance. There would be the option to exit Crestline or exit Bob Billings. Um, but the only entrance to that for buses would be Crestline right here. Thank you. I would second the motion to recommend options 1A for downtown and 4 for the um, primary multimodal transfer center. All right. Yes, we vote. Right. We vote. Lance Fahey. Yes. Max Schieber. Yes. Yes, okay. Uh, Nick Kuzmiak. Yes. Alan Ackland. Yes. Gregory Critchlow. Yes. August Rudisell. Yes. And Freddie Gibb. Yes. No other PTAC members here? That would be seven, that's unanimous. Okay, next one, huh? All right, Lance Fay, Vice Chair PTAC. Future agenda work session items to add. Anything? We've also got other items here. Uh, route redesign study update, steering committee. Uh, I guess, uh, there's an update for that, am I correct? Uh, yes, uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, I know, August, you're at that meeting. Did you have anything you'd like to add? I'm happy to give a brief update. Um, probably what you're gonna say, it was actually really productive. We went over the primary routes uh, for the city side and offered suggestions and um, they took our input and it was really productive. This is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I'll just uh, build on that by saying we've reached the um, an interesting stage in the route redesign study where through these uh, route profiles that the consultant is building, they're identifying uh, strengths, weaknesses, and opportunities by route. Um, and within those opportunities are, are kind of where the new ideas are, are able to come up. 
So, um, you know, it might be simple things, you know, tweaking the route to do a slightly different alignment than it does today. It can be more um, bold, like converting it to a on-demand microtransit uh, served area or um, changing the time of day that it, that it functions. So um, this is really where a lot of the brainstorming ideas are starting to hit the table and, um, uh, and the consultant will then start piecing these together into scenarios for us all to consider. So um, working on, like August mentioned, working on the city side right now, we're starting to get into the KU routes and we'll also work on the coordinated routes after that. So. Uh, it's, it's definitely the um, imaginative time of, of that study, which is exciting to be moving through. Uh, and this is August Buddhist, so I'm sorry, Adam. Uh, I was just going to say it was interesting to have the idea presented to the committee that where the city wants to go as far as growth west of Wakarusa, because you know the entire time I've lived here, Wakarusa has been the western limit of the city, and with the links and rock chalk being developed and now 15th and uh, well 12 buildings and K10 are heavily being developed. It's really interesting to see how or where we want to go as the transit system as far as west of Wakarusa. So that was discussed as well. Okay. Anything else? All right, Lance Fay, Vice Chair, PTAC. Uh, mobile fare payment update. Anything on that, Adam? Uh, yes, so Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So at the end of last week, we were able to finalize um, a mobile fare payment uh, agreement with Token Transit, um, who will be the third party provider of those services. So uh, they can stand up their system relatively quickly. Um, so we're working to get all the information they need in order for that to happen. Um, and we'll, uh, once that's all inputted, then we'll start doing some uh, testing with operators to make sure that that system works for them and it's something that uh, they can expect. Um, the, I've spoken about this before, but the general way this works is uh, we're, we're partnering for the, the backend platform, the, the thing that allows us to do mobile fare payments, but it's not one specific app. So people can use the Token Transit app uh, once it's up and running if they'd like to, but um, it also will mean that people can start paying digital fare payments if they so choose um, through apps they already use for trip planning. So through Google, through Transit app, through MoveIt, um, Transloc, Double Map app, there's all these other methods where um, having a partnership for the platform allows people to kind of access it where they're already using other transit app services. So that's pretty exciting from our end. We're excited to stand it up. Um, it will still be a visual validation system. So there's no additional hardware that we have to install on the buses. Um, people will hold up their phone to the driver the same way that they would hold up a monthly pass or something similar. Um, there's some different security features and um, moving passes and, thing, and different colors, things like that to uh, prevent people from just having a screenshot that works forever. Um, but we'll work through some of those um, issues and are excited to have another option for people to access the bus that um, maybe works for some people who find it hard to get to um, a grocery store or find a, uh, to purchase a pass or find a physical dollar in their pocket. I would expect, um, just one more thing, I would expect it to um, 
uh, likely be up and running within about a month is probably what we can expect general time frame. It'll depend a little bit on our training with bus operators, but I would think that's a reasonable target is, is towards the beginning of September. Thank you, Adam. Um, Lance Fay, Vice Chair PTAC. We've reached that wonderful end of the meeting. The next meeting is September 13th. All right. Thank you, everyone. Bye.